0: Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network.
1: Sip on the go with a Starbucks Ice Shaken Espresso. Our signature roast, shaken with ice, then finished with a splash of milk. Customize it to match your style on the Starbucks app.
2: Make today a good day. Spring training is right around the corner. So come for the games and have a ball in Arizona. With world-class resorts unbeatable dining and nightlife amazing scenery and endless outdoor adventure make your visit unforgettable plan your getaway at myspringtraining.com
1: Hey Holly, hey Dave. Holly, welcome to the What Difference Does It Make podcast. We're a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast family. We're celebrating the chaos with a documentary that just came out called "Long Live Rock," and we have some special guests today. Who we have?
3: We do. This is so awesome. We have Gary Spiebeck, who is the producer. Jonathan McHugh, the director, and we have R.J. Hale, the drummer from the band Hailstorm.
1: And the film is called Long Live Rock, Celebrate the Chaos.
3: This is so awesome getting to talk about this film.
1: You're going to love this episode. In case you didn't know why you're here today. Remember going to rock festivals? Remember when we went to a rock festival, Holly? We Just Went to a rock festival.
3: That might have been one of the last shows we saw.
1: Well, it was the last rock festival I saw. And that's, yeah. I mean, it's fun. There were a lot of bands we never heard of. It was a community because you knew... Everyone in there were fans of The Cure and Robert Smith was a fan of all these other bands. So we were going to we were going to love these bands. And that's kind of what you know rock festivals are. It's uh, it's just a shared community of people who love music and love getting together with people of like minds. We're going to talk with Jonathan McHugh, the director, Gary Spivak, producer, RJ Hale, drummer for Hailstorm. Let's get right into it now
0: hello good morning hey, hey good morning everybody
1: hey <laughs> good morning welcome to hey the morning zoo Hi.
0: Ding ding. my god thank you for having
3: me <laughs> thank you for being here it's very nice to see you guys thanks for being i don't know are you all in la or yeah, this is pretty early
4: i'm in santa monica, santa monica. In the palace age. AJ, where are you
0: i'm in uh nashville nashville oh, okay so, so it's not, not that early enough. not too bad At this point, it's just nice to see anybody. (laughs) I I
1: understand.
2: I know.
0: People. Arte
2: was a SoCal boy until recently, though, right?
0: I moved to L.A. in, like, 2012 uh, just because I loved it out there. We made our first two records out there, and uh, I always wanted to live there. So when I got the chance, I was like, this is where I'm going to move to. I'm going to live here. And, uh, and I still live there part-time, but now the band is based out of uh, Nashville, so it makes sense that we have everything kind of central located here.
3: Okay, I got it. What was the impetus for this film, and who whose was it?
4: My name is Jonathan. the director of the film, Jonathan McHugh. Gary and I have known each other since we worked with Metallica at Electric Records in the early 90s. Always been a fan of the genre, grew up in the genre. Cut to uh, Gary becoming one of the biggest hard rock festival booker, promoters in the country. He was working on a festival in Columbus, Ohio. And uh, I had pitched him on the idea. I said, Gary, you know, the fandom of this community is so interesting. And Gary had been trying to get me to come out to some of these Midwestern festivals for a while. Never made it out. He goes, McHugh, we Metallica, 10th anniversary of this <laughs> festival. Why don't you come out? And what, as a matter of fact, why don't we shoot some stuff? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, come on, man. Well, you wanted to make a movie about the genre, right? I was like, yeah. He goes, well, let's figure it out. And Gary, being a very can-do guy, and me being a very can-do guy, we basically got some crew members together from local. We brought my cinematographer from L.A. And we went to Columbus, and Gary lined up interviews with some heavy hitters, and we shot interviews with them. And then we found Gary found us some really interesting fans who were really passionate about the genre and met up every year at these festivals. We just shot a sizzle reel, and it was pretty good. There was a lot of great Mm -hmm. stuff there. And so we pitched it to a company that I had been doing, um, directing a documentary about the Comic Con cosplay culture, the transformative nature of that of that genre and that and that fan base, I should say. And so they said, "Well, what else are you doing?" And I said, "Well, I'm, I'm interested in this other fan base, this hard rock fan base, because they're incredibly passionate." And we cut that sizzle reel together, and they gave us a little bit of money, uh, and then we found some private money, and we just kind of kept rolling. You know, years later, right, Gary? Many years later, <laughs> it's a village to, to to put these things on. Yeah, I think it, I, what I
2: wasn't interested in doing was just kind of filming a, a live concert. You know, I, when when we booked Metallica, and we got Lars, and the second big interview we got, not to kind of to, to go from first to third gear here, the second big interview we got we got was Chris Cornell, and so we have Lars and Chris Cornell lined mm-hmm. up uh, at our at this festival called Rock on the Range in Columbus, Ohio. And then the, the day before we began shooting, Chris passed and to, took his life. And like documentaries do, because they're unscripted, this began a new story arc, mm. um, a big one, into the loss of such an important artist. And then a, a couple months after that, Chester Bennington passed too. So we had to go deep dive into okay, besides the fandom and the celebration. Of rock and roll and the live experience, there's another side to this, and how music can be a healing force, but also how dependency and depression is so a, a big part of, of music and an artist and the demons that they that they face, fans too, humans, yeah. um, and this beloved but often misunderstood genre of hard rock uh, really brings people together, and it really makes this whacked out dysfunctional, functional, beautiful family that, uh, that we all see. I mean, RJ and I have known each other from the time his band played the Jägermeister stage at noon. That's right. In 2000. 2000- <laughs> um, <laughs> many years ago. Yeah. And, um, when we get to it, I've, I have a very funny story, RJ, that I just remembered as I was dialing into this for, for you and I, That was, it, it, when the time is right, to hopefully bring it up on this.
0: Podcast. Oh, no. Not for public No.
2: <laughs> yeah, so when, when John and I, you know, started filming and, and got the film crew, and like he said, really just like with scotch tape and glue and, <laughs> and heart and soul, these stories started developing. We started finding this common thread, this theme of family and unity and community Uh, that this music and this genre brings together.
1: Actually, that was the words I kept hearing over and over in this film, uh, just describing the fans. It's a tribe, sense of community, party crew, family, respectful. These were words that kept popping up in this film. I mean, Holly and I were just talking that it's a a love letter to the fans. Like it's, you know, this is is something that people look forward to and it it means the world to them to, you, you know, not just the music, but the community.
4: Yeah, and I'll jump in, you know, now that I'm older and, uh, you know, as a kid, I went to see Zeppelin, I went to see Kiss, I went to see Black Sabbath, and they were seminal moments for me in my life and my crew that we were rock we were rock kids, it was nothing else, <laughs> there was no other kind of music, you know, there may have been disco, but that wasn't our stuff, you know, and, uh, and pop music, but so growing up as a rock fan, you know, we would go to these shows and it would be some of the biggest nights of our lives, right? So cut to, you know, uh, today in your 40s and 50s, and I went to Tulane University, and my crew was all Grateful Dead type people. And 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 so we meet up at festivals all across the country. We meet Jazz Fest every year in New Orleans, mm. you know, because we love New Orleans music. And, and that is a culture unto itself, you know. And then you take it to this level of fandom where people crowd surf and they mosh and they just let it all out and they headbang and... and they're off-putting in the sense the their visual is off-putting. Some people don't like tattoos. Some people don't like piercing, Some people don't like long hair. Some people don't like screeching guitars. And so the the genre gets a bad name. But when you m- meet these people and hang with them, they're just like normal right. fucking people like you and me. <laughs> so it's it's the it's also another theme for me is you can't judge a book by its cover. Mm-hmm. And you know it, it's really a fascinating thing to get into all this music and to meet. People like AJ and Lizzie and hear their stories coming from Red Lion, Pennsylvania. And they were both so great in the film that, you know, you just want to shoot more. So, for example, I asked Gary, hey, can we, you know, talk to Bill and McGathy? And, like, you know, they're playing a show uh, with two other female rock bands. Like, why? Let me go up to the Warfield and shoot with them. And then, and then Lizzie let me come to her record signing at Amoeba and, and you know, interviewed AJ and the boss. And it's like you dive deep with these people and, and it's just, It warms your heart that these people are out there every day on the bus playing for these fans and just doing their life is on the road, making music, playing music. And it's, you know, it's everything as a rock fan, you want to be around. And as a guy in the business for so many years, it was just really refreshing to get back to it for me. Great.
3: You did put a really nice face on the fan on that. Community because it does get a bad rap, but I mean, and also uh, you commented about the amoeba signing. That was what it was. An amoeba that was on camera with Lizzie yeah, and you guys. Yeah.
4: One of the last record stores in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Oh, geez. It was
3: it was nice to see. It was really great to see the interaction between the band and the fans.
4: Oh yeah, that girl who had saved herself, like in in virgin context of going to see to make her first show hailstorm. Because of what Lizzie Hale meant to her, mm-hmm. in a female-fronted rock band, and I just kind of was—I mean, I wasn't surprised by it because it, it, in coming of age of kids in music, um, but she picked Lizzie as that idol in a way. And when she got to meet her, and I, my camera was there, I was like, I got you know chilled yeah. because watching that interaction, how cool Lizzie was, how it, the moment meant something, and the fact that you can capture that as a documentarian. You know, it doesn't have to be all, you know, refugees you know, and <laughs> the emotional nature of things. It's a simple human interaction piece, and that's what we caught in that moment, yeah. you
0: know. And, do you like doing these? Do you like the signings and like meet and greets? Yeah, especially at a place like Amoeba, which uh, I've been to the one in LA a bunch of times. I've never been to the one in San Francisco. So that was really cool to get to see that. And uh, And you're right, it is kind of like. The, the last um, the the last of the uh, record stores, you know, it's still standing and I'm, I'm glad it's still there. We had a scare. We were like, oh no, I hope Amoeba doesn't go away because it's so cool. But they were so cool too because they, uh, every time we go and do a signing for Amoeba, they always give us a bunch of store credit to go and get a bunch of records <laughs> for ourselves and so that was really cool. Uh, Reason but, alone to do it. <laughs> but yeah, I, I loved that show in San Francisco particularly because I feel like we don't play a lot in California and California California's where a lot of great rock and roll music came from. So uh, it, it's cool to see that we were able to play in San Francisco and and the show was able to sell so well. And you're right, it was a stacked female fronted rock band lineup. I feel like that's a I feel like that's a that's a pretty cool thing that that has changed about the, the heavier music genres is seeing not only more female fronted or fe- or bands with females in them. But also the the fans that come out, we're seeing a lot of uh, you know a lot a lot more female rock fans out there, which is great. When we started, it was us, Flyleaf and Evanescence. That was pretty much it. And now you got like Stitched Up Heart, New Year's Day, Diamante, Sick Puppies with Emma in this moment. And uh, so it's it's great to see that you're right. It's great to see more more more, more representation in in the genre.
4: Yep. And you know, also as a fan for me, I, I now that I think about it, like. I was always assuming that this was this genre is primarily the sausage fest where it's all male, <laughs> it's all white, and so by going to these shows and getting there early and watching the bands that were starting early and and seeing these bands and my wife who also worked in the festival business would be like she'd be like call me up and saying hey you got to come over to the stage there's this band called in this moment playing and this woman's amazing she's like a thea- theatrical performer and like my wife. I don't want to say hates this music, but she doesn't like the hard music, you know. But yet, if there was a female in it, she was in it. Yeah. And it's just interesting to see. So in the movie, when we start to get into it, and you meet, you know, Lizzie Hale, and you meet Maria, and you meet Dorothy, and you're like, and then all of a sudden you see, obviously, you know, Tom Morello, but AJ <laughs> from Fire from the Gods. and Yes, um, I love
0: that band. And, Thank and, you.
4: and Jason and Steve from Fever 333, and that there's yes. minorities represented in the genre. And it's like, oh, okay, so I can help tell the story that it's not just this. It's also this. Now, it's mostly this, but the fact that right. it's becoming more this is amazing. And so that was something for me as a fan of the genre and and my also misconceptions because I hadn't been part of it for so long but Gary's living it every day. He's booking these bands. He's finding these new bands that are coming in and, and representing different cultures into the game. So that was kind of an awakening for me, also. And I'm glad we got to show show some of that.
0: Great point, though, because you're right. Like bringing people who who look like them, or, or having having artists that look like and represent like the the, the audience is important. You know, because you're right. It it is it is mostly one thing, and then if you're a different color different sexual orientation or different gender then you're like okay nobody uh, nobody looks like me up there like i can't really connect with that and that's really? why i am glad you mentioned like fever 333 fire from the gods all these great rock bands that are that are uh, diversifying rock music and i think that's vital i think it's um, that's really important sure
1: yeah one of the nice things about this movie is you you kind of touched on not only women but people of color and, and even the security which never gets uh, <laughs> mentioned in in, uh, in, in any rock festival but it's a huge part of it.
4: Yeah, Dave, so that was one of the interesting, yeah. one of the most interesting things in the whole thing for me. Mm-hmm. Like, get there, you're thinking bands, fans, right? Yeah. And all of a sudden you see how security has to work because the crowd surfing at these Midwestern festivals is like nothing you've ever seen. <laughs> right. The fact that these guys... Have this almost ballet routine where one guy is held up by the other guy and the other guy catches and the other guy pushes the feet away so they don't get kicked in the head. Then he turns and he lets the other guy uh, hold the body and the body, they put the body down and they go. It. <laughs> and as uh, I think it was Noodles from Offspring or one of the guys from Offspring said, you know, it's kind of like this ride at Disneyland. Like these are the guys that get you out of this intense ride after you've been crowd surfing from the back to the front, just so you could get a thumbs up from mm-hmm. the rock star, hopefully. And you've kind of risked your life doing it. You fall on your head, you know, it's not a good look. So the security guys, and then when they Gary introduced me to Seth, the head of security, and he's like, yeah, my secret, I hire a football team. <laughs> Offensive line, defensive line of these football teams. Why? Because they all work together, these college football teams in this local market. And they all know each other and they have to back each other up. And it's just like in, a, in, a, in a, any sort of sport, you have to be working as a team to win. So that thing was eye-opening for me, and I was like, "I want to make this a segment." I had no idea how, mm-hmm. um, but we just got great people, and they were and they were wonderful to uh, to talk to. Oh, you
3: captured it really well—the the football team and the teamwork that it takes, but also just the security in general and how it works. And all I, I could think about at the end was how exhausted they must be, just bringing it's down person after person.
4: It's a workout, and you know, for me as a kid. You think security, like you're, you're always at a show where I went to Madison Square Garden. You're always trying to sneak down, get better yeah. seats. You're smoking weed. You know, you're bringing in people. You're bringing in your friends to sit in your seats with you. And security was like the adversary. You know, You were like against them. Now it's like, oh, this is like a team. They have to work between the bands and the fans to build this connection so there's no bad karma between the barriers, if you will. And that was another really eye-opening thing for me as a, as a fan and a, and a documentarian.
3: I am curious, though, about the fans. How did you find that? You said, uh, Gary, you found the fans. But how did you, I mean, you must That's have drawn from that, a bigger
2: pool. The story of that is um, they started a MySpace page oh. back in the day. <laughs> and they called them the Party Crew. And they would contact me and some other people at my company, and they would... Deliver us t-shirts, really ugly, weird (laughs) colored t-shirts every year uh, with our names on it. And it got more elaborate. These people, instead of, you know, going to Cancun or Hawaii or bungee jumping or whatever, they went to these festivals. That was their vacation. That was their getaway. That's what they spent their hardworking money on. And they just let loose. And we wanted to explore and, you know, found one of them, nurse by day, crowd surfer by night. You know, yeah. police officer by day, partier at rock festivals by night. You know, we we just thought that needs to be explored. You know, it's it's one thing to to have RJ and Lizzie and and you know, Duff and Lars and Tom Morello talk about rock and roll. Yeah. I think it's another thing to really hear it from the people that are taking out their wallets to go see Hailstorm and why.
0: Dude, and we'll, so. we'll have tours where people yeah. will go to every single show. They're like this is our vacation. We're just touring right along with you. We're just driving to every city and we're like, how do you afford this? And and there's so many mysteries, like what do you do for a living and how do you (laughs) afford all this? And and, uh, the other thing is uh, the the cruise, the Shiprock cruise was, uh, is where people pay top dollar to not only see their bands on a boat, but hang out with them and go to breakfast with them. (laughs) And it's like, that's a whole other level of like the the most hardcore of hardcore fans right there. I gotta
2: ask, was there is there a little bit of a fishbowl? Is it a <laughs> little too whacked out? You walk out walk out of your hotel, your 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 ship deck and like, hey dude, you wanna play paddle board? You know
0: what? L- long story short, I have heard from a lot of bands before we even did Shiprocked, a lot of them saying it's a it's a nightmare, it's terrible, like oh we hate it. We can't go anywhere without getting accosted. And then I heard from some of my really good friends In fact, I, I will drop this name. Uh, Lejean from Seven Dust is oh, one of the, the guys that the sat field. me down because I was like, we're about to go on ship rocks. Could you please tell, like, prepare me? He's like, dude, every single time I go out of my room and I have a chance to interact with the fans, that is a chance that I get to make their entire life. I get to make, that, I get to make them feel so good and they're they are diehard fans for life. It takes only like 60 seconds, mm-hmm. not even that. To to make a fan for life, and so that really prepared me because I I heard a lot of fans come up to me and say like, "Wow, thanks for being uh, so cool." I I ran into some other bands and this this other guy, and I think he was having a bad day, and I don't know. I and I was just like, I don't want people talking about me like that to other people, so I went into it nose first, and I was like, let's just let's just fully commit. It's five days. I'm going to take a selfie with everybody I'm going to do everything I can to make it a special experience and uh, and it actually ended up being so fun and rewarding for me like actually going into it with the mission statement of like I'm going to make this a full I'm gonna make this a full experience for, for these fans like they're not only are they gonna get to like meet me and say hi but like we're gonna play games we're gonna do shots we're gonna do all kinds of fun stuff and uh and it ended up being a blast i actually really loved it
1: all right we're talking with gary spieback jonathan McHugh, and rj hale of hailstorm and we are going to take a break and be right back
3: Welcome back to the What Difference does It Make podcast and our chat about the new documentary Long Live Rock Celebrate
2: the Chaos. Can I ask RJ a question?
1: Yes, please. Please. It's an open forum here.
2: <laughs> does Hailstorm, do you prepare yourself differently when you play in front of 1,500 people or 40,000 people? Or is it like same show?
0: No, it, uh, that's actually a really good question. Maybe it just goes back to like doing it for so many years in front of like, you know, like my sister and I we, we played shows where it was just like uh, me her and the sound guy and and well and, and our bandmates, but like basically the band and like we're playing for the sound guy and we're and we didn't care. we were just like we're just like we're hey guys, we're playing a gig. this is so cool and we never we really never lost that, you know like whether we play at a at the machine shop or whether we play at a Sonic temp uh, you know uh, at a big festival or you know whatever. No, it's it's the same show, and and that we've always strived for that. Like we always warm up the same. We always, you know, make sure that we're healthy. We're we're warmed up. We're stretched. We're we're good to go out there and, and slay it. And um and that's what it takes. Like you really need to think of every gig as your as your last gig. You know, like this this could be it. You know, and and yeah. we, we, I think we've always felt that way because we've been through so many milestones where we're like, oh man, like. You know, we're we're going to get dropped tomorrow or our record's going to get shelled. Like, you know, so many, the, the fact that the stars align so well for us, like we don't take it for granted. You know, we, we can't because we've had so many near misses where like our career could have poof, like been gone before anyone even knew who we were. So no, you, you got to put the same effort into every
4: show. Can I get a question now? Is it my turn? <laughs> yes, yeah, <for always>. Please. <laughs> um,
0: Thank um, you for raising we, your hand.
4: We have not spoke since you did the cover of the Who classic, Long Live Rock. that's right Uh, there was a drummer on that on that original record named Keith Moon so oh that guy I want to talk to you about making that record how it felt for you were you a fan of that song and oh by the way you killed it thank you very much
0: (laughs) oh thanks man I actually never heard that Who song until until that request Uh, I've been a huge who fan from the beginning Uh, and uh, you know I was raised on that I was raised on Keith Moon and John Bonham and all those guys And that was the first song that we cut when we, when we like shook the dust off after 2020 of doing nothing (laughs) and then went in the studio and started, uh, we're like, okay, we're wearing masks. We're in the studio. It's a big studio. We're Hmm. socially distancing. It's just the four of us and our producer and uh, starting to get back into it, trying to write songs, record songs. And we were like, let's, uh, you know, let's ease back into this. Let's start with this cover. And, uh, and, and basically after not playing for several months and going in the studio and just channeling my inner Keith Moon, like it was it was really fun. <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. and it was a really great way to kind of kick off our our return to the studio to to write and track songs and stuff. Down in the Astoria! The scene was changing!
4: Great job! Was, thank you, thank you for doing that. Amazing. I
0: appreciate that, man. It was a lot of fun. Uh, AD, AD, any chance to be able to play it, 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 Keith AD Moon
4: today uh through Loudwire magazine? The song is now out through Loudwire magazine. So if you want Woo! to go oh, nice. I'm right.
3: when we get to hear it.
1: <laughs> yeah, right.
2: <laughs> it's a ripper. It's a total. Have you guys turned this in this iconic song into this 2021 modern rock banger.
0: Thanks, man. Yeah. Oh, Ooh, very well, cool. You
2: know, I will tell you, and for those who don't know, he is a badass motherfucking drummer. Mm-hmm. He is vicious. He and oh, I'm come a on. <laughs> and I've and I've said. I feel funny. And, and, okay, uh, I, that's the third thing I was going to talk to.
1: Is this about. the morning zoo? What are you doing here, RJ? What's going on? <laughs> yeah, I bring
2: my He's own sound effects. Sorry. Yeah. He stand up comedy. Everybody, <laughs> we got to get to that in a minute. Um, but. I have told, I've personally told Dave Grohl and Taylor Hawkins, like, have you watched or seen R.J. Hale, Hailstorm? Please go see him, Mm. because I know Dave Grohl will be like, dude, fucking sickest drummer (laughs) around, because he's fantastic. He is wow. Tommy Lee meets Keith Moon. I I am very busy at, at festivals, and I make a point of seeing Hailstorm every time, and I'm side of stage just watching him. Like I have iPhone footage of just him. Like, I'm, <laughs> oh, I'm Gary! Him so,
4: no, it was fun it's at the all... Warfield show, standing on stage. You know where it was intimate. You, you couldn't really get close on the on the big festivals, but watching him on the um, on the Warfield stage was really impressive to just be be up close to that shit. So, Thanks, props man. to you, young fella. Thank you guys so
0: much. Hale
2: hour, but, uh, <laughs> but he does stand up comedy too, y'all. No, and,
3: well, I was gonna say you're pretty. Per- you know, usually the drummer hangs back. We we know a lot. They, can they hang back. They're on the more on, on the quieter side. Some, but uh, I mean personality wise. You have a full-on – you have a great voice, too. I mean, I, you have a really nice voice, too. Thank you. Um, so do you. So, thank you. So where can we see you do stand-up?
0: Uh, you know, it's kind of sad. I, I wanted to get into it while we were on uh, break in 2020, like while we were kind of in between uh, writing and recording uh, out here in Nashville because uh, one of my – actually, my bass player's neighbor, who's a friend of ours, kind of talked me into – uh, doing a like a like a tight five at this uh, <laughs> open mic night at the East Room over here in Nashville, and uh, and it was it was really fun. It was a blast, and uh, I didn't really expect anything from it, but like uh, my guitar player videotaped the whole thing, and he sent it to like all these people, and it got to Gary, and it got to uh, uh, Danny, and and the whole crew, and they were just like, and now Sonic Temple's doing um uh, doing a stand up stage, which you guys have had the the great Jim Brewer. <laughs> The format which I love Jim Brewer, and uh, and we were just talking after our show there after when we played uh, uh on the, the same night as System of a Down, and they were like, You know, next year we should do a you should get up and do a stand up set. I was like, I will definitely do a stand up set next time that we're booked for this festival. You, you have my word, I will I'll get up and do it.
2: And he does. <laughs> I think after doing bad
0: jokes, he will do like you will do your rim shot. I do my own rim shot <laughs> <laughs> Nice, the, the more grown worthy, the better.
1: Can I go back, RJ, to when you were a kid? I mean, you're, you grew up, we mentioned uh, Red Lion, Pennsylvania. I, I looked it up, population 6,300. What? Yep. Where did you go to shows? Where did you go record shopping? What radio station did you listen to? What was, I mean, it's a small town, so you probably, uh, you know, you had uh, probably a small crew of friends. And
0: <laughs> Well, when, when we were like really young kids, uh, our parents took us to a lot of festivals. They would like, we would travel to go see, like so, some of the festivals you know festival shows and stuff like that we saw a lot of cool bands
1: where um, what's where was the big city
0: oh gosh i mean not a lot of cities there was like a festival that like that set up at like a farm somewhere in like central pa yeah i think north central pa and it was maybe like an hour drive or something and we'd go there we'd go camping and it was like a five-day festival or something like that you know uh we, which is like when we go to uh, to do p- the play festivals and we see people camping in tents and stuff, we're like, Oh, memories. <laughs> uh, but in, in, se- when we started gigging and playing shows, a lot of times we would, uh, uh, we would just love to go see the other local bands in the community. Like, cause you're right. Th- like the, the nearest city to us was probably Philadelphia, which was like two hours and Baltimore was like maybe like an hour and a half. Um, New York was like four hours away. So we didn't really get a chance to, to go out to see shows that we weren't, already performing that uh, we weren't already playing at because we were doing a lot of shows but uh we really liked the whole local community in central pa and i think that um i think the fact that we started in kind of a small pond really mm-hmm. wasn't a lot of other things going on there it kind of made it easy for us to build up a following and that mm-hmm. i think was a help was a huge help with us getting noticed
1: where'd you guys play What uh- i would
0: play bars and uh you know cl- you know stuff like that <laughs> like dive bars and stuff like that and then uh and then uh, we worked, We were working with this producer, and we started showcasing in New York, and uh, we were like, well, we, we don't have an audience in New York, so what we would do is we would just, like, rent a van and take a whole bunch of our fan friends that mm. we had in Pennsylvania and just drive them up to New York so we'd have, like, a little bit of a crowd. Oh, and, uh, and it really helped, you know? It really helped, and uh, people started seeing the numbers that we were raking in in Pennsylvania, like, oh, wow, these guys are <laughs> playing just this bar, but they're packing out these bars in Central PA, like you know, it really helped us kind of get noticed. Was
1: this like uh, you started out in the mid nineties or early, early aughts? What's
0: 97 uh... was when we started. I was like yeah, So years
1: old, yeah. So it really wasn't social media. What what were, nope. how'd you, what was your promotion secret? What, uh, how'd you get the word uh, out besides we'd friends?
0: Go, <laughs> <laughs> we'd go to Staples or office max and make a, and print up a bunch of really cheap flyers. And we would go to gas stations and grocery stores and like, and put them there, and sometimes we would just secretly like stick them, like in the bathroom, like when when no one was looking, and hope that enough people see it before the the staff like take it down. And like it was a lot. Yeah, you're right. It it was a totally different world now. And nowadays, newer bands have uh, at their fingertips like this online way to self promote, and it's it's actually really great. It, it's bringing a lot of independence and power to independent artists. I think the disadvantage is that there's so much more competition now because there's so much more traffic you know it's kind of the equivalent of like putting a flyer up on a billboard with like you know a hundred other flyers like how is yours going to stand out and we would try to make them colorful and you know try to think of ways so um there's more opportunities but also i think the the same principle hasn't changed yeah where like uh well basically you know like like what um don henley said in that eagles documentary crap don't float you know Mm. you still have to (laughs) Be good. It doesn't matter how many shiny objects you have to your advantage, like if if the the core of the of the music isn't isn't really good, then it's, you know, probably not gonna do very well. You have to back it up. Yeah. It up. yeah.
1: But that and that probably touches on the fest there's still competition. When you're playing festivals, you you you're kind of an opening band you're you know I'm sure you're looking at the bill going oh my god we got to follow these guys or yeah. playing at the same time as these guys we got to you know is it a competition do you feel like it's a battle of the bands when you're up there it's,
0: it's a little bit of a friendly competition especially in the early days now it's it's um like when we go to play a festival people already know what to expect and we're able to just deliver we, we, we still we still want to give them a great show but in the beginning you're right it was like we would we had no production we were playing in the daytime yeah and there's no light show there's no nothing so we're like we have to be the production we have to like exert we have to be we have to make the first move as far as exerting energy the, the crowd is not going to respond unless we start it you know and that's always kind of been our that's always been our our uh, mission objective every time we go on stage that really hasn't changed at all. But, uh, but especially in the beginning that you're right, like other bands that would play, we'd be like, Oh man, we, we really got to up our game. You know, we, we always felt that way. Like we can't just phone it in. Like we got to up our game and, and that's kind of stuck with us.
3: That's kind of the cool thing about festivals though. Even when you're, you know, when you're an opener, uh, you have, you already have a fan base there that wants to like you. When you go to a festival, you want to like everybody you're going to see, you know, all the bands
0: you're going to see and maybe get exposed to something new. It, it's it's tough though, like when you're when you're the first band on the bill and it's like 11 a.m. Mm. <laughs> and and people are just re- starting to walk in. Like we've played a plenty of those festivals, uh, a lot of especially, and we we relived it several years later when we started doing Europe festivals, and we're like, oh, we're starting all over again. Like nobody <laughs> knows who we are, and and that just kind of pushes you to want to right. really up your game because like I we, we really got to. Make an impression on these people, and um, and that's what it takes. Uh, we've always kind of had, our live show has always kind of been our, our bread and butter.
1: Do you find there's a difference between U.S. and Europe uh, audiences, or or down in South America, or where, you know, South America always has like the the reputation yeah. of an intense, like real intense fans. You're, we're, you're we're
0: exactly right. Yeah. Like in, in different regions of the world, they do react differently, but they're all they all re, they're all special in their own way. One thing I like about, you're right, South America and European festivals is like, when you start the kick drum, everyone starts going like this. <laughs>
3: and,
0: uh, and that's really cool, but, um, but not, to, not to take anything away from the U.S. audiences, because it's funny to see different crowds in different regions of the world react differently to certain moments in the song or certain moments in the live show. And that's always been interesting to us. I, I, I love I love all of them. I, I always say festival season is better than Christmas season, you know. Wow. <laughs> yeah, you see Almost that energy. The rock.
2: You you see the, right. the afternoon the, these fans they come at, at eleven, like RJ said at noon and they're with you for twelve hours mm-hmm. and they they bring it too. They they give it their all and the energy at two for a two o'clock band is just as intense sometimes as a you know, as a band at eight or nine o'clock.
0: I got to say, as a fan of this documentary, um, I really love the fact that you guys pointed that out and you really took it from the perspective of the fan because that's literally why we why we wrote the song Freak Like Me because uh, <laughs> these people are literally freaks to be sleeping in the mud and for like four days straight and then going out, standing on the barricade to see their favorite band for like 10 hours without any food, without any... And I'm just like... These people are superhuman, and I think that has something to do with the fact that we have this natural uh, type of tribalism. It's probably a, a human nature trait, uh, but this is a way that tribalism is actually a good thing. It's it actually results in a positive thing. These people find their sense of community, their sense of home, but it's it's in a positive, uplifting uh, type of way. And I think if you're going to get latched on to anything, uh, getting latched on to a, a, a type of of music or a type of or, uh, you know going out to see live shows i think there's i think that's a really good thing i'm
4: on the train that's pulling the sick making the most of the ride You know, we talk about the uh, Kevin, the psychologist in the movie, the adolescent, uh, the um, yeah. teen psychologist talks about the study that was done in Australia. Um, basically, how this music can basically bind people together, and you know, kids who used to get bullied, um, once they find their tribe, literally is the term used, they are now the bullies are now afraid of them, and it empowers these kids. And maybe they put on a Metallica T-shirt, or maybe they get a piercing, and maybe they let their hair grow. <laughs> but it's all part of being on that team. If that team's looking like that, then you're probably going to want to look like that. And it's kind of an interesting psychological deep uh, dive into, you know, why this is like that. And, and I think Jerry control Kent, control gets, has a great quote about the tribalism of uh, the tribal nature of it. And Dr. Drew also covers it in the film. And I think that, you know, it's, it's, that's what the movie is. And then back to the fans for a second, you know, Gary got us the party crew and then we'd go back and we'd see this footage. And I was like, wait, is that a woman crowd surfing on top of her husband or <laughs> a guy? And I was like, how do I get to know these people? And I call up Scott, who was the correction officer for the party crew. I was like, oh, he's like, yeah, that's uh, Michelle. She's from New Orleans. <laughs> I'll connect you with her. And I'm like, okay, great. And then there's the, uh, oh, wait, who's that one-legged girl in the wheelchair? Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, She was the Abby.
1: star of the film. You
4: know, Abby, Abby, right? Abby's the star of the film. And I'm like, get me Abby. So I go to Abby's trailer Gallatin, Tennessee, and it's one of the greatest moments interviews of my life. You know, you have to sit down with someone like this, and she tells me, Yeah, you know, I lost my fiance in a motorcycle crash where I lost my leg. And then once I got better, I went to the tattoo shop, and there was this Harley out front. And then this guy, who's Harley, it was, we fell in love, and now we're together, and we have another kid. Like, I can't, I couldn't write this stuff if I was writing the script. So Real much? Why, why is reality TV so big? Because some of it is so captivating and real right. that you can't write it. And that's part of one of the things why the movie works, because some of these people are just so fantastic and so passionate about this genre that we were able to capture it, memorialize it. And the timing of it, obviously right before, put it together before it all shut down. And now we have this incredibly captive, frustrated audience and mm-hmm. they can't go rock. And so we're the closest oh, yeah. that would be in there, which is why we're putting it out now.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. One actually, one of the surprise guests that I that was in this film is uh, John Kasich, who apparently is a, a Metallica fan. I think I think I read he got kicked out of a Grateful Dead show, so he you know he's yeah, I
4: mean, he's been he, there. He did, for, he did work for Nixon. He wrote, actually wrote his letter <laughs> to Nixon back in the day to get to get into politics, and and he started up, and he's he's come. He's he's on that team, but. He is a great voice, and watching him rip apart Trump on <laughs> CNN over the last couple of months has been a blessing, because one of the only Republican voices with sanity. And he, you know, it was really a touch-and-go thing to get him. And yeah. Gary can talk about getting that interview. I was like, Gary, we've got to get John Kasich. Like, John Kasich's coming to the fucking show. we got to get him. So <laughs> Gary can talk about that, because I, I love having him.
2: He's just, he's a real music fan, like, legit rock fan. He loves the band Live. He loved the Chili Peppers, and that's that's why he did it. That's why he wanted because it was a music documentary, and it was about rock. So he had t- he had teenagers who came early to to the Columbus Festival so they could see the side stage acts. And, and one band they were really into was um, Miss May I.
0: Oh, I love those guys. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. And like, there's John Kasich side of stage, you know. <laughs> it, in, in wow. the parking lot watching Miss May I with his kids
0: what you don't expect man it's that's the that's the cool thing about uh the the rock fans though is that they're fans of the genre and these bands at the most pure form because they're, they're purely just fans because they love it they're not fans because it's trendy because it, rock music is not like the the trendy thing to do you know so it's it's genuine
3: I also like seeing that corrections off it a warden and the and the Gilkey is that the prisoner
4: yeah, the officer was a great story because Scott was one of the main party crew guys and I said hey Scott I want to you know come where you work and he's like okay cool and he goes there's this other guy who was a, an inmate and he would come in and come out and then you know I'd see him out and we I'd see him at a festival and I was like I wasn't sure if the guy you know wanted to hit me or not but he's like hey can I buy you a beer. And I just really, tell me more, tell me more. And he tells me about Gilky, and I was like, can we get Gilky on the phone? And so I got Gilky on the phone and talked to him and I said, hey man, would you, would you be up for coming to the place that you were incarcerated and talk? And he's like, well, I don't know, man, you know, I'm not <laughs> doing that. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to that place again. I was like, dude, just, you know, walk me through it. And, and it, it was really cathartic for him in a way to uh-huh. see where he's come from and talk about his family and how his family saved his life and how this music was his therapy and guys like that that can turn it around get out of drugs um and doing bad stuff you know it was really good and the fact that those guys built up a friendship based on this going to festivals was amazing to me so yeah i I love that piece of the film also
3: that's a great
1: story what's the secret to to capturing on stage performances or the energy of uh of the audience i mean do you well, just point the camera? Or where?
4: I'm telling you, like those festivals that Gary runs, are, I've been to a lot wow. of fucking music shows in my life. Mm. But the, those hard rock festivals, man, those fans, like that whole thing with Seth talking about how he, you know, he was, uh, he, he captured how many fans came over the barricade and crowd surfing for one five finger song. Mm. It was like 250 people or something like that. <laughs> and we have the footage to, to prove it. Um, so. I think that, you know, the energy's there. Like, these bands bring it. Like, Hailstorm, all these bands, metallic. I mean, come on. These bands fucking rock. And not only that, they've been doing it for so long, so often, that they're so tight that it just shows. And the energy is infectious, and the fans feel it, and the fans give the energy back to AJ, and he can comment on that next. But this give and take of energy, if you will, and then, like you said, then there's security, right? And they're in the middle, you know, handling these people off, ending their ride, And it's like, and they're pouring water on people. They're spraying water because it gets really hot up front. They get pressed to the barricade and they're pulling people out and letting them go back to go to the bathroom so they don't have to fucking fight through that crowd. (laughs) And it really struck me as this symbiotic thing that Gary and the DWP people are like the ringmasters of and they got to make it safe and they got to make it great. Another thing that we didn't even cover in the film, sorry to diverge, is what Gary and his people had to do with, with the weather. Like the weather is ridiculous there. Like all of a sudden, <laughs> these, boomer, these boomer storms are like off. You know, twenty minutes, half hour, hour from here. Then they have to make the call: Do we evacuate? Because if we don't, and someone gets hit by lightning, it's a disaster. <laughs> oh, yeah. And if we do, and nothing happens, no rain comes through, and no storm comes through, then everybody ridicules them. <laughs> and it's like th- that was a whole other storyline that we couldn't get to because. It just, we had, that was like the same day Chris Cornell died. Gary had to evacuate the place once or twice. So it's in a microcosm, a festival is really interesting that there's so many different moving parts, so many different things the band's energy, the fans' energy, the promoters, what they have to deal with, security. So I'm glad we got to capture most of it because there's, there's a lot to it.
3: Gary, I'm guessing you're an adrenaline junkie.
4: Yeah, I love, <laughs> I love Control Chaos. I love um,
0: Gary's also a slamming drummer.
1: As long as that's brought up and you posted a thing on the left set's letter about Fountains of Wayne, you are a honorary member of Fountains of Wayne. Can you tell me that story?
2: Uh, That's, that's, that's my 15 minutes right there. (laughs) The quick story of Fountains of Wayne was they were doing two radio shows, the HF Festival and the BCN River Rave. Um, And the drummer, Brian, uh, and I was working at Atlantic Records, um, got so loaded in DC, (laughs) and I don't want to bust him, but I believe he hooked up with like a, a lady friend.
1: <laughs> what?
2: <laughs> I go to, uh, I bring the PD of WBCN, Oedipus, a Hall of Fame program director, mm-hmm. to the Fountains of Wayne bus to meet so the band can meet Oedipus like a half hour before they're supposed to go on. And I, I bring them up. Hey guys, this is Oedipus from BCN and thanks so much for being part of River Rave. And Adam comes to me and goes, got a little problem I'm like what's up he's like we don't have our drummer here we you know we and chris the lead singer kind of bursts out yeah yeah i think we'll go acoustic today and oedipus goes the fuck you will <laughs> <laughs> and i go here's my sh- here's my shot i go because adam knew that i played too yeah um i go guys i could do it <laughs>
0: That's a total Keith Moon moment right, right there. He's right. like, I can play a lot better than him. Give me a shot. <laughs> yeah.
2: I mean, Mountain Wayne's like pocket, 4-4, four, four, and I know the songs because I mm-hmm. adore the band. Yeah. And, I, and, and I, I could do this. It's just, you know, just keep keep the – serve the song, right, RJ? Um,
1: yeah. So
2: Chris was like – he and he, Chris said in front of Oedipus, he's like, the record guy playing drums because they're kind of indie darlings, you know, like, <laughs> that's not cool, man. And Oedipus goes – Guys, figure it out. Mm-hmm. And he walked off. And and I had, and Chris was like, all right, you could play? And Adam's like, yeah, Gary could play. So <laughs> I did like a, they, they put on Red Dragon Tattoo in the bus, and I air drummed it mm-hmm. for them Airdrum- the audition.
1: Air drummed it.
4: Oh, my Airdrum- God. I've never even heard this story, by the way.
2: And they're like, all right, let's go for it. Fuck it. So I get up on stage with them. And, I, you know, this, they had a written out set list back in the day, you know,
1: like,
2: <laughs> like with, with black Sharpie and it's right there. And I, I know every song and I'm rocking and it's like 5,000 people, um, side stage, and people are like <laughs> jumping and moshing. I'm like, God, you know, the drummer's doing that mm-hmm. you know, when, when it's moshing. That's the yeah, drummer. Right. Um, so I think it was during like Sink to the Bottom or something. And I'm like rocking out. And I'm like, this is happening. And Adam, bass player, you know, does the move like that that drummer acknowledgement move. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh, he's going to eye contact me. And he turns around and he goes, slow the fuck down. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you were raking it, huh? I was speeding a little bit because the adrenaline.
1: The adrenaline, yeah.
2: I, I have a cassette of it, and there's no YouTube. There's no nothing. I have one photo and a cassette tape of the performance.
0: <laughs> that is such an amazing story, though. I hope that one goes in your book. It will. That's one for the book. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if it's not posted on social media, then did it really happen? <laughs> it really
3: happened, right.
0: <laughs> but you're exactly right. That's the, the energy that we get at those festivals, especially when we do those festivals. Those, uh, festivals that Gary puts on, uh, the energy is <laughs> incredible and the tempo can go straight through the roof. <laughs> and we don't play to a click, or, or we don't have um, any tracks or anything. Like we're we're as raw as it gets. So it's a lot of pressure on me to keep the tempo together. I'm sure that you, every drummer understands that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah thank
2: Thanks. for letting me share that. <laughs> of
0: and course. That's an amazing That's story. St- yeah. What a cool story,
3: man. You could retire now, and you know, you'll have that. <laughs>
2: Yes, book. I was backstage after, like an hour or so later, and there was Ed Kowalczyk of Live and, and Mark McGrath of Sugar Ray, and I knew them both. And this reporter comes up to, to us and, like, it's kind of staring at me. And I step aside, like, oh, she wants to, you know, she's like, Did you play Drums with Fountains of Wayne? I'm like, yeah. She's like, Can I interview you? Like, oh, man, this is really <laughs> embarrassing.
4: Rockstar. Well, welcome to the rockstar. Um, <laughs> rockstar for a day, man. It's fucking fantastic. Yeah, it's like a
0: <laughs>
3: living the I dream.
0: Hear, I really want to hear this tape. That's that <laughs> right. i got to find it. <laughs> you got to put that out.
1: Nice.
3: Okay, so let me ask you, just as an aside and as a fan, you because you mentioned live and you mentioned Ed Kowalczyk, do you, do you have more material? They're my, pretty much my all-time favorite band. Um, did you have more material with them and have you, I mean, I know they didn't play, but you had a snippet with Ed. This going check. Up?
1: Is that going on the Blu-ray?
4: i a by with Ed. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we did a great interview with Ed. Uh, and he was, like I said, he, uh, he and, uh, Kasich have a relationship <clears throat> and we talked a little bit about that. And, um, yeah, I mean, look, we have enough for another movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have so much material. Sequel? Um, yeah. stuff we shot, you know. We shot like five, six cameras some days. And, you know, when we got Michelle crowd surfing on top of her husband, you know, she had a GoPro. He had a GoPro. We had a mm. camera on stage. We had a camera in the crowd. We had a camera up above. And so we could shoot that crowd surfing moment because to me, I, I really wanted that. And I, one last thing I'll tell about her is like when I found her in the crowd, Scott got me her number. I reached her on the phone. I was like, hey, I'd like to interview you. Um, <clears throat> she's like, um, I'll tell you what. I'm happy to do an interview if you can help me do a hamster ball fight with my husband (laughs) You got smacks crying like a bitch. And I was like, wait, you're negotiating with me? She's like, yeah, I really want to do that. And I'm like, Gary, can we do this? He's like, yeah, you know, not really. It's a security thing. I said, well, we interviewed security once. We have a tiny bit of relationship with him. Can I go to them and say, as a filmmaker, would you just like look, the other way for a couple minutes and let these balls roll into the crowd because that's all, once that happens, once the balls come down, it's over. And it was so good. We shot the shit out of that. And that was our end of the film. You know, that was our culmination of the film because what better moment is there than to do that? All right. um, so it's just, it's funny how one experience begets another and one person, you know, comes up with something that makes your movie fantastic. Um, so it was really a a great collaborative effort, team effort to be able to do that. Um, as a matter of fact, I had my kids graduation uh, (laughs) from college that weekend, I think. And Gary had to direct that thing as well as doing a festival. He had to do that scene.
1: (laughs) Controlled (laughs) chaos. More of it. That's, that's what he lives on.
4: Yeah. He's an adrenaline junkie. (laughs) uh, The other thing I'll say about him is that the day Cornell dies and they have to evacuate, I'm thinking to myself. Okay, my producer, he's gone. I'm not going to see this guy at all today because he's got his hands full a little bit. And he's dealing with the National Weather Service and the state and the local mm. government and and uh, trying try to find a headliner. And he, you know, didn't drop any balls. He's was, was an amazing character to be able to be in business with. So fun project to work on, shall we yeah, say. No, but I,
2: um, thank you guys for supporting yeah. this love letter to, to rock and roll. And I, I hope everybody... Watching could could download it and experience it like like McHugh said. There are no live shows right now. Maybe this is a great way to help ease that pain. Go you know turn it up in your home theater system and and enjoy Long Live Rock.
1: It's available now, and um, you can uh, what the, w- the website is longliverockmovie.com and uh, you can find it there. I think if you probably go on Amazon or where where can they find it
4: uh, on the twelfth, it'll be available. Um, just go through the website and you can pick theaters. You know, th- like if you want to support certain theaters in your area, you can go through them uh, to watch the movie. And that's called Virtual Cinema Live. Nice. And then, you know, that'll run for a couple months and then we'll go up to different streaming platforms like Amazon and iTunes and maybe others. Um, that's all being put together right now. But for right now, we wanted to go directly to the fans to be able to just watch it and also support uh, theaters because virtual cinemas, you know. That's like another lost Mm. part, you know, going to the movies is something you haven't done in a year. And it's tragic because I just love that aspect of, you know, much like a live concert when the lights go down and you're commuting. You're not really commuting with other people like in the theater, but it is there's something special about both the live concert and and the movie theaters that are just left us behind right now. You know,
0: I think especially right now, though, this movie is like. Uh, is like a uh, concert porn, you know, for people who really miss going, they're like, like, Oh, you want to watch long live rock tonight? Yeah, baby, let's watch it. You know? Let us hope, my love. Oh, yes, that's what it's like.
1: Put that in the put it in your stand up act now. That, that little go. bit, you got, yeah,
0: it's
3: a, it's a very good point. It's like, no, it's a good point because if you, if these are your favorite bands, then you're gonna, you know, absorb every moment and rewatch, hopefully.
4: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, when you look at the list, and I had to send the list out to somebody the other day, and I was like, wow, you have 50 of the top rock stars in this genre interviewed in this film. And then the, the many more that didn't make it just because of time or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so you look back at the culmination of the work and how many bands are performing. I think we have 16 songs in the film um performance performance songs or pieces of music and you know i think we did a nice job of trying to blend it all together and give people uh like aj said that bit of experience from from it and and get to know some people and uh and get to know some of the bands a little bit better too
1: it's phenomenal it's been a while so it and it, it was kind of cathartic to see that to, to... And you got some great footage just to kind of capture those those moments. So uh it, it's really worth checking out. I really recommend it. It's it was
4: thanks fun for having me in it, man. Yeah, AJ, thank you for your contributions. Great. Oh,
1: absolutely. It's so honored to be a part of it. Long live rock. Celebrate the chaos. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> Spectacular.
3: That's awesome. Thank you.
1: Yeah. I love this movie and I love talking with these guys. Wasn't this this was great.
3: This film really gave us the sense of community and really this, this community, this rock community. I mean, we, we have our music that we, you know, the festivals that we've attended, but this is the hard rock community. And it is really, you got the sense of community from watching the film. They did some great interviews, talked to some of the fans in depth and other, other associated people. And I just, I hope our listeners will go see this film. Cause it's, it was really fun. It was a lot of fun to, to watch. And it gave you a, a great inside knowledge and better understanding of these people who follow, you know, follow these bands on the festivals.
1: Yeah. It's worth checking out I, again, go to long dot com to uh, find out all the details on where you can see this movie right now. Highly recommend that you check it out.
3: And you get the movie aspect of it where you get the behind some behind the scenes stuff. We got to meet, it was fun seeing the, meeting the security people and hearing some of their stories and, and the fans and, we highly recommend this movie.
1: Yeah. So thanks to Gary Spivak, Jonathan McHugh and RJ Hale. We hope to see them again further down the road. Uh, in a festival setting if you want to know anything else we'll be posting on our uh, website and information on on our social media pages where can you find us Holly?
3: you can find us on Facebook at what difference does it make podcast you can find us on uh, Twitter and Instagram at WDDIM podcast and you can also find a lot of stuff and a lot of outtakes and behind the scenes stuff on our YouTube page so just search for what difference does it make podcast
1: much like what we talked about with the director where there was just so much footage that he could have made another film I think we talked with these guys so long we could make a, a whole other YouTube podcast on our talk today. So check out our deleted scenes. We're going to go out today with the hailstorm song, Getaway. Okay, so until next time, this is Dave. This is Holly. Check you later. Over and out. Feel
4: it in your bones, human with no soul.